Hello and welcome to this Rash Decision podcast where we look at skin-related issues, conditions and treatments in an interesting and informative way. I'm Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP with a long-standing interest in this particular area of health. And I'm Dr. George Moncrief. I was also a GP, though I've now retired from my practice, and I was the chair of the Dermatology Council for England. Now today, George and I are going to be talking about the management of psoriasis and discussing the possible options available to us in some detail. And this is the second of three podcasts we're doing about psoriasis. So if you were with us for the first one, where we talked about the basics of psoriasis, including its huge psychological impact, we do hope you found it helpful. If you didn't, then go back and have a look, and I'm sure you'll find it very informative. Let's not dive into medication straight away, um, but let's just chat about general treatment principles of psoriasis here. And I think we need to remember we're mainly talking in practice. Our bread and butter is about chronic stable plaque disease, scalp disease, and occasionally guttate psoriasis, aren't we? Well, yes, I think we are. Although the more tricky areas like the flexures do need to be thought about, but let's keep those for next time. I think the first thing to think about is that psoriasis is a dry skin condition. Um, it's a scaly skin condition. And so emollients for me have a central role in the management of psoriasis. So I use emollients as soap substitutes, advising patients to avoid exposure to soaps, detergents, shower gels, shampoos, bubble baths and things as much as possible. All of those will make the skin drier. They remove grease and make the skin drier as well as damaging the barrier as I went into a lot of detail before. So try to avoid soaps and instead wash with an emollient. And I spend a lot of time talking to my patients about that. But I think also patients are amazed in, in the consulting room. I get them just to rub in gently into the plaque an emollient. I just squeeze it onto the hand and then get them just to massage it in. And it can have a remarkable effect um, at hydrating the scale and making it less irritant. And I believe that just using a quality emollient could keep, well, could control psoriasis, which is an amazing statement, mild psoriasis, but it can certainly keep psoriasis at bay for years. So once their psoriasis is gone, keeping their skin well hydrated and using emollients. And we've been talking about the Aproderm range. I think they're absolutely ideal. By quality emollient, I'm talking about something like the Aproderm Colloidal Oat Cream. Uh, using that as a long-term leave-on emollient onto normal skin to keep psoriasis at bay, capitalizing on its anti-inflammatory effects. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think one of the things that I've found is that that's not often flagged up um, in treatment pathways or when people are talking about emollients, they often, uh, about psoriasis, they often dive in to treatments um, ahead of emollients. And you're absolutely right. In my experience, I've had large numbers of patients with mild psoriasis, admittedly, who essentially remain pretty much symptom-free if they are just compliant with serious, proper use of emollients. And they, and they love it because they just think, well, this is just a moisturizer yeah. and, and, and it yeah. really keeps it nice and simple for them. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And I was desperately disappointed. This sign guideline came out, I think, 2010 and the NICE guideline 2012. And both of those 
Yeah, they, they mentioned emollients in passing and then moved on. Yes. Yeah. Rather than having a whole chapter on emollients, which I think is how I would have designed this. Um, yeah. A real missed opportunity for a cheap, effective, acceptable treatment. Emollients, I think, transform skin diseases and, and they're grossly under-recognized. Going back to NICE, their management of chronic stable plaque psoriasis really resulted in me losing all my hair. It was terrible. <laughs> 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 um, they had nobody, well, virtually nobody from primary care on their board, and they were telling primary care how to manage primary, uh, chronic stable plaque psoriasis. And their regimen just really made me upset and angry. They suggested you go in with vitamin D once a day and a topical corticosteroid once a day, one in the morning, one in the evening. That's your initial approach. Well, two prescriptions, two prescription charges. Patients might find the vitamin D a little bit irritant, so they might not want to use that. Then they're just using an unopposed steroid, not very good. They may be anxious about using a topical corticosteroid, so they may leave that off. And they begin to muddle, which one am I using in the morning, which one at night, and confuse things. Well, they then said, if they're no better after four weeks, take up another GP appointment. Great, that's what we need, isn't it? Keep us busy. And then you, yeah. drop, you, you, you drop down, drop down to vitamin D twice a day. No, in my experience, vitamin D once a day does almost as good as twice a day. So, um, so you, so you don't put it one, so don't drop it down one day. You, you increase it to twice a day, but that is dropping down the effectiveness. Using it twice a day is no more effective than once a day in my experience. So that is bound to fail, which means the patient then returns and they suggest after eight weeks of doing that, look, they've now had psoriasis for three months and they then suggest that you use a topical steroid twice a day. Well, absolutely not. The additional benefit of using a steroid topically twice a day is so marginal compared to once a day. I never do it. I only ever prescribe topical steroids once a day, ideally as ointments at bedtime, which is very acceptable to patients. Doing it twice a day is not going to work in the context of someone who's used it once a day with a vitamin D. Or they say you could use cold tar once a day or twice a day. Well, cold tar six times a day, which isn't very convenient, might work. But the cold tars we can prescribe in general practice are not as potent as the ones in secondary care. Patients don't like them. They smell. There are potential and theoretical risks from them, though I, I don't worry about those generally. Um, and in the context of someone who's failed to respond to a potent topical steroid and vitamin D, that is not going to work. They suggest the patient leaves their psoriasis for another four weeks on this ineffective treatment. They now had psoriasis uncontrolled for four months since seeing you. This is their fourth appointment. They then suggest you go on to the combination. Come on, get real. And that all that is doing is trying to be, inverted commas, cost effective, the National Institute of Cost Effectiveness. What we want is a National Institute of Clinical and Health Excellence where you recognize that the best treatments are the right treatments. Because how much time has that taken up? How many appointments? How much time has the patient been suboptimally treated and their lifestyle destroyed? And I bet your bottom dollar, that fourth appointment, the patient's going to say to you, doctor, you are clearly faffing around. You don't know what you're doing. I think it's time I saw somebody who did know what they're doing, in brackets, i.e. not nice, close brackets. And please, can you refer me? 
Well, yeah. and what will the dermatologist do when they eventually see them, if you're lucky enough to get an appointment unless they go privately, they will put them on the combination product. Okay, let's go through this a bit more detail. What are the vitamin D analogs? We've got calcitriol, Silcus from 12. I have to say it is my favorite vitamin D. Um, it is the least irritant. They're all irritant. They all make eczema worse. Uh, it is perfect for once a day. Curatoderm to calcitol, it's also from 12 years and is once a day. And calcipatriol is the most irritant. Um, the oldest one we've got, it's the first one we had. And interestingly, it's licensed down to six years, which is quite useful. So useful in children. Um, but I don't use much of vitamin Ds on their own. I will be, when I'm talking about tricky areas, I'll be talking a bit about vitamin D analogs on their own. But um, generally speaking, I don't use them. I've almost exclusively managed chronic stable plaque psoriasis with the combination product. And when we first had that at the turn of the century, we were astonished how putting the two ingredients that we were using into the same vehicle, i.e. Doverbet, has this extraordinary synergy. It was definitely more powerful. That's now been um, changed from being a gel that's still available to a foam. It's called Enstelar foam. And that, I have to say, I think is one of the most amazing new products this century. It came out in 2015. And at first I thought it was just a patent extension um, on the Doverbet until I discovered it really does work amazingly. Um, the SoFast study showed that over half of patients have a 75% improvement in the objective measure of their psoriasis, what's called the psoriasis. This is the PASI, the Psoriasis Activity and Severity Index, which is a, an index that I don't do in primary care, but is used a lot in secondary care. You look at the size of the plaques, how much body surface area is covered, how severe those plaques are, and you get an objective marker. It improves it by 75% at four weeks. Now, the only other agent I've ever known that can achieve that sort of outcome that fast is a biological. And here we have a foam available to us in primary care at the same cost as Doverbet gel, which gives the same results on chronic stable plaque psoriasis as a biological. Fantastic. Then they did a study called SoAble, where they compared Enstelar foam at four weeks with the original Doverbet gel at eight weeks. And the Enstelar was more effective at four weeks than the Doverbet at eight weeks. So it's powerful. And, and the reason why it's fast, I think, is because the active ingredients, the calcipatriol and the tocalcitol, sorry, not the, sorry, the betamethasone, are in a non-crystalline state in the foam, so they can penetrate the plaque. Now, when you've got psoriasis, the plaques of psoriasis are producing chemicals like fibronectin, which cause psoriasis. So fibronectin um, combines with something called integrin and drives the inflammatory pathway through to the inflammatory um, interleukins that cause the plaques of psoriasis that make more fibronectin. It's called the fibronectin loop. And I'm sure, Roger, you've seen as I have, that patients have got severe psoriasis. It's, it's the devil's job to get it under control. Yeah. But once you've got psoriasis under control, it's a lot easier to keep it completely at control. You're no longer making that fibronectin. So I want to gain control with psoriasis as fast as I can. I don't want to faff around with four, for four months with ineffective treatments like NICE want me to, using up lots of doctor time and patient time and everything else, and unnecessary prescriptions and lots of prescription costs. 
I want to go in with the most effective treatment from day one. And I usually see marked improvement within a week with Enstelar. So I love it. Other things we could use, um, TARS, I think they've rather fallen into disfavor. I do quite like TARS. They are anti-itch, um, but they smell. They, yeah. they do work. They're old fashioned. I used to use them a lot in the in the last century. Um, and I do use them also for eczema, for itch. But uh, patients, they do stain clothes and they are a bit irritant generally. Um, I use them on the scalp a bit, and I'll come on to that when I talk about scalp. Dithranol has pretty well fallen out of favor completely. There are some sticks that you can use of Dithranol. The nice thing about Dithranol is it does result in quite long-lasting remission, which is useful, but it's faff to use, it's messy, it stains everything. Um, it stains the skin, a sort of purpley brown color. So I, I haven't. I, I used to use Dithranol about once a year for a patient. Is about and, and I had fifty patients coming to fifty GPs patients with psoriasis coming to me a year. So quite a lot of referrals of psoriasis. It was uncommon to to resort to using Dithranol, but it, it's a good old fashioned treatment. And then we're on to second line agents. Um, so if patients are not responding to emollients then I'd be thinking about second-line treatments. And what I used to use in primary care was methotrexate. Um, but that's not, I'm not suggesting everyone in primary care should be doing that, but maybe secondary care will be thinking about that or ultraviolet light. We've now got a premilast, um, fumaric acid esters. There are a number of treatments there, even doxycycline for some patterns of psoriasis. I know those aren't working, and their DLQI remains high, and their PARSI index remains high, then we have got biologicals, which I have to say, for the severe end of the spectrum, have completely changed the landscape. We can now control psoriasis completely, so we, in virtually everybody. So we have got amazingly powerful treatments. Yeah, we have. I, I, some, some years ago, just when biologics were coming in, um, I chaired the UK um, National Psoriasis Conference, and the quality of life scores that were coming through then from people that were just going on to biologics, as you say, they were going from horrendous to ecstatic, you know, within weeks, um, yeah. certainly sort of a, a couple of months. And, and uh, people in, in, in the conference were going, this is, this is completely changing the whole nature of psoriasis treatment for, forever. So biologics, absolutely. It, it, One thing you do need to remember with psoriasis is if for any reason the patient has to stop the biologic and then they restart, you don't regain the control you previously enjoyed. Yes. So it, yes. it's a big decision to stop or to change. You, you you may lose what you've already gained and never get it back. So yeah, there's a, there's there's a, a slight little, law of diminishing return if you mm, sort of stop and start, isn't there? Travel yeah. on and you'll continue to enjoy that. So don't think because it's now under control we can afford to stop because when it comes back you may not get back to the same place. Uh, uh, but that, that's really a secondary care issue, isn't it? It is. It, it is. I was fascinated to hear you talk about Enstela, um, because you and I haven't, you know, discussed really what treatments we 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 like in our our practices. Like you, I am a massive fan um, of, of Enstela. I think it has, you know, been a real change um, for, the, for a good in a good way for our patients. Um, and the scalp, um, scalp psoriasis, um, which can be very tricky. Um, with patients that present to us. Um, Actually, again, I use... I use 
can I just say a couple more words about Ensolar? The other thing about it is it has a, a unlike any other, Novabet doesn't, it has a license now for maintenance therapy, which I think is so useful. So um, just to describe how you use it, you, you shake the canister and you squeeze out a foam ball onto your palm um, and you squeeze it for two seconds from about three centimeters, so a couple of inches. So you squeeze out for two seconds and that gives you a half a gram foam ball and that will cover the area of skin of one palm. Um, one percent mm. of the body surface area so you can and you need to just use it once a day for treatment um, so you can soon work out how much the patient needs so that's half a gram and the canisters um, uh, you, I've gotten, I think it's 60 grams so um, you can work out how much you need um, to cover the whole body I, I've in the past actually prescribed up to six canisters for a patient to use in the next month um, when they had a quarter of their body surface area was covered um, and it worked a treat. So you, you need to give it enough for the patient to use it enough. And then usually by about a month, you've got them under control. I mean, it, it is amazing. Um, not always. And then you can drop down to maintenance therapy, which is two non-consecutive nights a week. So, for example, a Wednesday night and a Sunday night. Um, and they can chug on with that for a year or more. Um, so... Um, We've got this lovely treatment now that gains control and keeps control. And I think that's a really useful addition for our patients. Fantastic. So you're talking about the scalp. Yeah, but I mean, uh, about four out of five patients are affected, you know, on, on, on their scalp. Obviously, we've talked about the big impact of, of the quality of life. And if you've got a big, thick, bushy head of hair, unless you actually <laughs> look at the margins, you know, you often... <laughs> can miss this so it's a reminder to sort of um always look always sort of pull the hair back and have a look at the uh, at, at the margins but yes so so the would be my my, my go-to i don't typically descale first do you think that's an issue well i used to i used to say that's important and so i go in with something like some diprosalic ointment for example or or, or other preparations and i have to say i i the lovely thing about the combination is it controls the inflammation of psoriasis locally and it controls the hyperkeratosis with the vitamin D analog. And I've been amazed at how patients who've got really cruddy, dreadful scalps, if they use Enstelar properly, it's brilliant. And so, yeah, like you, I, I don't use it any longer. I don't descale first. I just go straight in with Enstelar. And what I say is it, it doesn't work very well on hair. It works on the scalp. You've got yes. to part the hair and you've got to get it down there and you've got to massage it down onto your scalp. It is a foam, so it, it goes in there quite easily. Um, so massage it down onto your scalp last thing at night. But it is pretty oily stuff. And uh, so in the morning, the hair will look pretty greasy. Now, if they're lying lockdown and things, people could just leave it. They didn't, didn't matter unless they were on a Zoom or whatever. But uh, if they are going to work the next day, they'll want to wash that out. And the important tip there is don't wet the hair first. You need to put shampoo onto the dry hair first, and then you wash that out with the water. Otherwise, you won't. the water will just wash off your scalp and, and off the hair, and you won't degrease the hair. So you put it on once a day at bedtime. Wash your hands if you don't need it there. And uh, I think it, it's absolutely brilliant for for scalp. I used to use Cocois or Sebco, um, which is a combination of very potent coal tar, um, coconut oil and um, salicylic acid, um, very high concentration. So it's a very thick cream. And I used to describe to patients how they needed to make a parting, probably get a helper to, with them, and to layer sausage down that parting and then gently massage that down into the scalp. 
then create a new parting an inch further on and do the same thing again and slowly march your way across the scalp. It would, it would take probably a good quarter of an hour to do all that. At the end of which, you've got a patient with a smile on the face. They've had a, a wonderful head massage, and you've got a carer who is exhausted. Um, it's an effective treatment. You then head to bed, and um, you need to wear an old bath hat or um, old pillowcase because the tar will stain the pillowcase. And in the morning, their head is a matted mess, and they will be cursing you. And so the only way of getting that out, I've discovered, is is Capasal shampoo, which is a salicylic acid-based shampoo. And that works. It does get it out. But that just smells so tarry. It's horrendous. So to get that out, I used to use Alphacil 2-in-1, but I'm told that's not available at the moment. It's a nice tar-based yeah. shampoo. Yeah. I do think tar-based shampoos, whether with, with tea gel or, or polytar, whatever you like, are really good at keeping psoriasis at bay. And the important thing there is to make sure you really do rinse them off. You don't leave some behind the ear. You do rinse it off completely um, and don't use too much shampoo. And try just to wash the head. Try to wash the, uh, the hair, I mean, and, and a little bit will get on the scalp and can work a treat there. If the, itch, if the scalp is very itchy, which I do sometimes see, then another thing I love is obviously topical steroids are very effective for that, as are TARS. Um, but I've rather moved away from these scalp applications. They're, they're rather too um, irritant. Um, even the foam is a bit of a the be better mousse foam I've rather moved from. The one I really like is Etrivex, which is yeah. um, clobetasol propionate, i.e. Dermavate strength shampoo. And what you do with this is you massage that down onto the scalp. Again, it works on the scalp, not on the hair. It, it, it shampoos the hair, but you want to relieve the itch on the scalp. And um, you leave it there for about a quarter of an hour before you rinse it off. And when you rinse it, it dilutes it so much it doesn't have any clobetasol side effects on the skin elsewhere. And, of course, with the scalp, don't forget, it could be an element of seborrheic dermatitis. Um, seborrheic dermatitis seems to quite like the environment that psoriasis creates. And psoriasis, I think, sometimes curbnerizes into seborrheic dermatitis. So they commonly coexist. So if it's not responding to all your treatments, it might just be worth having a, 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 a put the patient on something like ketoconazole shampoo for a bit and uh, see if you can kill the yeast that's driving SIBO psoriasis. Yeah, it's a really good, really good tip. We've got this classical primary care catch-22 here because patients with scalp psoriasis, in my experience, and if they're able to, quite often encourage quite thick hair because it's their camouflage you know it they, they, sort of grow, they grow it thick it hides it, hide <laughs> it which is a nightmare the worst thing you can do when you're trying to to treat it so yeah. um you know in in lockdown and if they weren't on zooms you could say well look you know, if you want to sort of just crop your hair as much as you can and, and it, some of them did that it made life then much easier but then the real world steps back in and they grow it back because that's how they yeah. they want to look so that is something that we have to sort of tip to our way around a little bit and uh, in, 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 in being pragmatic about these things but it just takes a little bit longer if you've got a thick hair it, it the effect is still is still the same i think um and that's an interesting little uh, little tidbit just to bring this episode to a close i think so i do hope that uh, you found this interesting and george and i Hope that you've enjoyed it. And if you have, then please leave us a review. Um, any feedback on what you'd like to hear about in future podcasts, that's really helpful to us because we love making these. And your feedback coming in is really helpful to us, um, not only to help keep us going, but also to tap in as to what you want to know more about. 
Yes, and, and Roger and I very much hope you'll join us again in three weeks' time when we'll be discussing the management of the tricky sites where psoriasis can be a real problem and can really affect our patients' health. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Aproderm, for all their help in putting these rash decision podcasts together. We couldn't have done it without them. So, as always, until the next time, it's goodbye from George. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.